Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Just like that, the second hour is here for Hot Mike across the Outkick Network. Glad you're with us. And, Chad, we've got plenty to hit. We've got SEC Mike, Michael Bratton, who's going to join us in 20 minutes. Plenty of Southeastern Conference football discussion from spring games that took place, a couple that haven't yet, and a lot of headlines. And we'll hit on some of those here and with SEC Mike in about 20 minutes. We're not leaving is what we're saying. No. We're not leaving. We're just getting started. We're not. And we've also got uh, Tim Brando coming up in hour number three, about an hour and 20 minutes from right now. And in the meantime, we'll hope you'll check us out on YouTube. You can subscribe to the YouTube channel and streaming live at outkick.com daily starting at 3 p.m. Eastern. Well, I don't think we bought this when the headline came out from Sarkeesian to begin with. Quinn Ewers is, is the starter. There was no real... True competition is Quinn Ewer's job as the quarterback at Texas. Arch Manning will be in a battle going into the fall for the backup role, which is also likely going to be Malik Murphy and not Arch Manning as he gets the red shirt year. And Chad, the, the response to the spring game debut for Arch Manning is going to be fun to look back on in about three years. With the, 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 oh, good luck in the SEC. College defenses are going to eat you alive. And I'm thinking, man, I'm, I'm looking at the entire team out there that is going to be eaten alive, not just Arch Manning, based on the highlights I saw of every snap, which you can see at outkick.com. Well, let's put this into perspective because Arch Manning has had 15 college practices he's so what, far. He's not even 18, right? He's young. 15 college practices in that offense and got out there and played in their spring game. Malik Murphy is a freshman, but he's a redshirt freshman, so he's had over a year in that system. Now, Malik Murphy threw for 800, 100, 800, 180 yards. That had really been something. He threw for 800-plus in this one game. It counted as 800 based on the way they scored the game. It looked like 800 compared to Arch Manning, <laughs> who didn't do much, but threw for 180 yards this game and looked a lot better. I'm with you, Hutton. It's going to be Quinn Ewers. It's going to be Malik Murphy, one and two. Arch Manning is the number three. He's going to redshirt. Now, the real question is, do we buy that Malik Murphy is going to stay ahead of Arch Manning on the depth chart a year from now when Arch Manning will be a redshirt freshman in his second year in the program? And if that's the case, they're the same class, essentially. Murphy would then be a sophomore, right? A redshirt sophomore at that point, so one year ahead. So if you don't win the job next year in your Arch Manning, are you going to continue to stay at Texas and sit behind someone who's a year ahead of you? As your clock begins. The clock has started. And also, if you're going to leave early, you're two seasons away from going to the NFL. So then do you transfer somewhere else to start immediately if you're Arch Manning? We're a long ways away from that. Yeah. But I just want to put spring game into perspective. A couple facts that we know about this. Going into it, regardless of what Sarkeesian says, Quinn Ewers is the Texas starting quarterback. He did nothing to dispel any of those notions in this game. 
Malik Murphy, Arch Manning this summer vying for backup quarterback is the real race. But to me, it looks like Malik Murphy's going to be number two, and the hope would be to redshirt Arch Manning, if at all possible. But we can't read too much into someone who's had 15 practices so far in their college sure. career. Sure, but I mean, if you wanted to go in and start somewhere, Texas wasn't the place to do it. No. And I, and I, hey, I give also, him, I you give also him have credit. to put that in perspective. I give him credit for you know not shying away from competition and going the place that he liked the most. And he went to Texas, but... We also know that if, for whatever reason, Malik Murphy's just a superstar and Arch Manning can't start, he will make the smart decision at that point and go somewhere else where he'll start immediately. And maybe that's somewhere else in the SEC, or maybe it's another program, but he's going to have options regardless. Chad, Ohio State put 75,000 in attendance for their spring game. The post-C.J. Stroud era begins with 75,000 butts on the seats. And they actually charged. It wasn't a free ticket. Ticket ranged from anywhere from $7 just to get in to $30, which came with uh, some other perks involved in that. But it's the highest attended spring game for Ohio State since 2017. And to (laughs) to put in perspective of that number, there were only 16 teams last season that Ohio State being one of them averaged that number that they had for the spring game. 16 teams averaged 75,000 fans per game in the regular season. And Ohio State put it in for their spring game. I know they you can inflate this however you want, but the fervor for college football and the hotbeds for college football is never going away. Never going away. And I was impressed with this number, the 75,000 plus for this game. I, I mentioned this a week ago, but... At what point is the, is there a way to tie in an NIL collective to pe- charging for a spring game, whether that be a preseason spring game against another program yeah. in your state or just a spring game like this? Imagine charging seven dollars or thirty dollars, let's say ten fifteen bucks per person, knowing that all of those proceeds go to a collective. Within the NCAA rules, you can't do that now. That's what's going on with the NCAA and Texas A and M. You can't tie. Ticket sales, uh, sales of suites, concessions to an NIL collective at this point in time. But we know that's all bound to change. So what if this was one opportunity and you could sell it to your fan base as, hey, come to this game, have an enjoyable afternoon, spend $10 to get in the door, and know that all of that money is going right back to the current roster and or future recruits at your favorite college football program. That to me sounds like a win-win for everyone. For the fan that may get better players or keep more players happy, to the players, that's a great deal, right? Sure. Yeah. You're going to go out there and play in a scrimmage and make some money off of it. So I'm just always keeping one eye on what is the next evolution in paying players to play college sports, to play the top college sports that are generating the most revenue. And this could be one of them. And it's got to come through. So right now, correct me if I'm wrong, if you wanted to get the players paid in some way, or if you had the, the autograph line or whatever, right? Um, you would need a booster, a sponsor. Uh, I always mention the car dealership because I think it's what everyone initially thinks of. But it would have to be off campus, correct? For them to actually pay them to show up and then proceed to then play. That is correct. So they could not do that like on the sidewalk outside of a stadium or anything like that. So... But I guess you could in Texas, based on what I And it doesn't, doing. you know, if it, the more we fine-tune this, it really doesn't make a ton of sense 
You know, if a day at Alabama, for instance, if you said we're going to charge you twenty bucks, let's say we yeah. get fifty thousand people to go for twenty dollars, and as part of that twenty dollars, we're going to line up the entire team, much like they do at a, you know, picture day, fan day, fan fest, whatever you want to call it. Yep. They can all sit there and sign autographs for an hour or two. We'll have a little spring scrimmage with some drills. And then all that money's going right back to the players. All of it, yeah. I don't think many fans would have an issue with that at all. I don't think the school would either because the schools aren't really looking at this as a huge revenue driver. Now, it was for Ohio State in this instance, but there's not many that are saying we're going to charge for our spring game and make a bunch of money off of it. It's just something they do for the fans in hopes of getting some exposure and a chance for the fans to, to go see the team and get a little bit of extra work in for the program. So if that money's going back to the players – I don't see people having a big issue with it. By the way, Kyle McCord was on full display for Ohio State. Uh, the other battling was was injured, could not play. So McCord, everyone there is packed in to see him play. He goes 17 of 32 with a touchdown, no interceptions. Nice, nice debut, and it's it was his center stage. What a spring game is to people who attend. Let's go ahead and face it. it it's it's one of two things. It's either an excuse to get your family out of the house or take kids away from the house to do something different on a Saturday. If it's nice outside. <laughs> or if it's, if it's nice and if all the conditions line up where yes. you can do it, you don't, have other, did here. you don't have other sporting activities or anything else with your kids, or it's an excuse to drink. That's really it. That's the only benefit of attending a spring game. Either you are going to tailgate and have drink. a big day of drinking. And tweet or, about college or kids. Or you're taking your family to the game. <laughs> or hunting a third option, okay. you're doing both. You're both drinking yes. and taking kids to the game. Because, let me, we're going to talk to SEC Mike about this, but just blanket statement, you're not getting anything out of these games. I mean, nothing. I you're tuned into supporting. a couple of SEC spring games over the weekend, and I'm seeing guys on the first drive of the game scoring a touchdown, the Tennessee orange and white game. I see a guy that scores a touchdown named Dalton Sneed, and I had to look it up. He's a walk-on freshman from right down the road from my house. I didn't know about him in high school. And he was right down the road at my house, and he's on the Tennessee roster scoring a touchdown. With all due respect to him, I'm sure he's a great player. I don't cover high school football the way I once did, but I see that touchdown, I'm thinking, man, they're just trying to put bodies out there of walk-on players yeah. to get the game through and not injure anyone. That's the only goal of the spring game. And that's the goal of fall camp, too. You want to get better. Just but get to the season. Get to the starting line. You want to get to the starting line get as healthy as possible with your main guys. Uh, Ohio State, just tying that in, just trying to stay healthy. Brian Hartline, the wide receiver, uh, offensive coordinator, uh, big-time recruiter, uh, had an ATV accident after the spring game. It was like at 1.30 in the morning. And uh, he and a friend take it to the hospital. Luckily, it was not life-threatening. He tweeted out that all is well. But when you see the headline after we were, we were discussing him, I think on Friday, yep. um, with the recruiting job that he's been doing, and uh, I sent a text to Bobby Carpenter, a buddy of his who'll join us later this week, just saying, hey, hope all, all is well with Heartline. And he said, yeah, I, I think it's all, all good based on his tweet. So, yeah, he'll be, uh, he'll be calling plays again soon. Speaking of excuses to drink. Um, yeah. the end of spring camp, I think, is probably an excuse for these coaches to drink. I immediately saw ATV crash at 1.20 a.m. I know. And I'm thinking, okay, alcohol was involved in this. Had to have been. I have no I, other explanation yeah. for why you're on a side-by-side -side at 1.20 in the morning on a Saturday night after your spring game is wrapped than alcohol being involved. We'll ask Bobby directly uh, what he thinks happened here. But in all seriousness, happy that he's okay.
Yes. I mean, this is something that could happen to a lot of people. He's on his property. I don't think he's hurting anyone else. Uh, happy that he's going to be okay with this. By the way, it's Dayton Sneed, not Dalton Sneed. I had to look that up. I didn't want to mispronounce the young man's name, That the walk-on that I saw score a touchdown for Tennessee. Yeah, on his property, Dayton you're Snead. right. Oh, Dayton. Yeah. Uh, now, I'm his biggest fan now, Chad. Dayton yeah. Sneed. I'm rooting for the best for him, but that was the one thing that popped in my mind. I think I turned it off then. I watched, I watched a little bit of four spring games from different teams, and that's where I officially turned the Tennessee one off was on the first touchdown drive. I said, okay, when, um, all due respect to Mr. Sneed, if he's scoring your first touchdown, this probably isn't a very serious You may have said this, outing. run or pass? It was a pass. Was it from Milton? It was from, <laughs> it was from former walk-on UCF transfer Gadsden Moore. Wow. That was the touchdown to open things up in the Tennessee spring game. Um, Dion Prime continues to preach his message that if you don't want to be here, if you can't hang with what we're going to build at Colorado, peace. Seven players have already entered the transfer portal after their spring has concluded. So he's, all, he's already shown others, even, uh, the, even more than the group that transferred prior to all that. He's already shown them the door as well. I think they're going to be pretty good for, for the standard I think we're going to judge him on in year one and year two. I think he'll go above that bar uh, based on the confidence level he's going in, the guys that he's brought in versus the players he's replacing. As long as Shador is the real deal at quarterback for them in that yeah. conference, I'm saying. And they, I, if they I, get middle of the pack by year two. Yeah, and, and what I look at what Lane Kiffin has done at Ole Miss. He's turned it into kind of transfer you yeah. Uh, yeah. In, in the SEC. Um, Arkansas in basketball has done that once again, where they just reload with big-time transfers. When you get that rep for transfers coming in and being successful – you can replicate that year in and year out. Now, there's going to be a law of diminishing returns, and there's going to be a year where you don't bring in the right players, and it doesn't mix well with your current team, and you're not going to have a good year. But Deion Sanders can be that type of celebrity yeah. coach, that there's going to be someone who's disgruntled somewhere else or someone who's playing well somewhere else that decides, I want to go play for that guy. So I do think this is something that he can replicate in Boulder. And so far, no big feuds between coach and coach. But that was all, that's also coming. You know, we've seen some feuds between Kiffin and other coaches. And with Prime, it's, I mean, it's going to come whenever a certain player leaves for that one year with Colorado. Yeah, if he tries to take a Pittsburgh player from Pat Narduzzi, or someone yeah. like that's going to be afraid to speak up and, and cry foul when that's happening. And Dion won't be afraid to do it either. And Dion's not going to be afraid to respond. So I, I, respond would, love, I would love a good beef. To yeah. take place. You know it would be great for the Pac-12? That. Lincoln Riley versus Deion Sanders having well, legitimate beef with each other and actually building some sort of, uh, of a rivalry with those two schools. Uh, we're a ways away from that from the Colorado perspective, from being on par with USC and Lincoln Riley. But wouldn't it be great if those two coaches hated each other because of transfers or whatever reason, and it could actually spill over to on the field. And if that happens, then Dion's got something. Maybe it could even land them a TV contract. You know, maybe, the, maybe that's the <laughs> well, missing link. Just we just look, need that Colorado USC yeah, just rivalry. Just those two programs. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, hi, uh, I'm an executive with Apple TV. We'd like to talk to you about just exclusively showing Colorado versus USC. Yes. How much would it cost for that package? We want one game. One game. Oh, sir, you want one game a week? No, we want one game. We're going to stream we one game. We want that game. one game and then a reality we show pay for that and following then that's Prime it. around. 
Can you imagine if Colorado could just break off with Deion Sanders' interest <laughs> and say, we're already streaming these documentaries yeah. that follow him around. Our crew's just we're just going to sign our own TV deal like a Major League Baseball team would with a regional <laughs> sports network. Altitude Sports will now carry all of our games, and all the money's coming to us. Screw the conference. You can't oh. get a deal done. You guys can't close. We will close our own hey, TV deal at Colorado. Amazon Prime Video, it's already made for you. Sitting right there. Prime, Prime, Prime Video, on Prime. Prime on Prime. Let's make it happen. Just do the deal yourselves. SEC discussion with SEC Mike, and we'll pick up with the quarterback talk. It's happening in Alabama, for instance. We just mentioned C.J. Stroud's replacement. We'll talk about the Tide and more next on Hot Mike. Coming up, maybe a surprise move for a veteran in the NFL. Hot Mike rolls on across the Outkick Network. Hutton Withrow with you. Pleased to be joined now by SEC Mike, Michael Bratton. And he's the host of that SEC podcast. A lot to discuss based on spring news, roster battles. Not as much the results of the games that we've watched recently, Mike. But hope things are well. And I'm curious... What do you consider the most interesting storyline to be across the SEC for football right now? I mean, specifically SEC, to me, it's can anybody compete with Georgia? Because, heck, they may look even better than they did last season. And uh, last time I checked, they basically rolled through the entire schedule and, and went undefeated. So after Saturday's spring game, down there, the G-Day Athens game. I mean, the, the quarterback question, I didn't really think it was a question, and I think it proved to be that way on Saturday. Carson Beck appeared to have full command of that offense. And, hey, we, we have to credit Stetson Bennett for all he did, but at the same time, there were people like me doubting him every step of the way. So if I was going to doubt him, imagine what they have now with uh, even more talented quarterback to work with. I think – Carson Beck is significantly more talented than Stetson Bennett. So I, don't, I just don't know if anybody can beat Georgia right now. It is crazy, Mike, to think about a, a team that just won back-to-back -back national championships losing their starting quarterback and possibly being more talented at quarterback uh, having done that. Yeah, <laughs> Scary for the rest of college football. Alabama is always scary. They're also replacing a great starting quarterback. What do you think about that battle with Jalen Milrow and, and Ty Simpson? Well, it's pretty interesting, Chad, that, um, you know, with new coordinators, Tommy Reese, I was not high on that hire by Nick Saban. He was about the uh, fifth or sixth choice, but that doesn't mean he's going to be a bad choice because many coaches have uh, not been the first choice and they proved to be the right choice. But I think that's an interesting quarterback competition for one key reason, and that's because Ty Simpson and Jalen Milrow, two quality quarterbacks, I'm not doubting their ability, but they're so different in their skill sets that I think you almost have to ch not completely change the offense, but it's almost like if you go into the season still unsettled, I think that's a major, major red flag for Alabama, particularly with a game against Texas, who some people, of course, we hype them up every offseason. I'm not sold on Texas, particularly not with uh, Steve Sarkeesian as the head coach. But if you go into that game and you don't know who your quarterback is, there is an opportunity 
that uh, if Texas has made big strides under Sark, that they beat Alabama. So this is it's a critical decision to be made. And I think it's fascinating that they didn't grab anyone out of the portal because we've not seen their spring game. So, you know, I'm not sitting here judging Alabama, but I, again, I go back to Georgia. I think there's a, there's a wide, wide gap right now between the team in Athens and the team in Tuscaloosa. Mike, I was cracking up at Lane Kiffin's tweet where he had the screenshot of he was at home watching the Florida spring game, and it was 7-7 seven to seven late in the fourth quarter, and he just put the fire emoji <laughs> the score on the screen. Just that never changed Lane uh, when, I, when I saw that. Um, but in all seriousness, with Florida, with, with Graham Mertz coming in from Wisconsin, it's a real precarious spot here for, for Billy Napier in year two, Mike, because... Anthony Richardson, who was inconsistent in his one year under Napier, what if he goes to the NFL and looks really good in year one? And then Florida's offense is struggling with Graham Mertz. It's not going to be a great look for Billy Napier. Again, this is only going into year two for him. But how tough of a spot is this when you look at Florida's personnel with what they're trying to do offensively? Right, and... You know, a name you didn't mention there, and this is not fully on Billy Napier, but it's going to stain him nonetheless, is Jaden Rashada. I mean, that's that's a storyline people just kind of gloss over. That was potentially going to be their quarterback before the the NIL fallout. They couldn't make the payments, uh, essentially, but uh, that's a different story altogether. But uh, another underreported story, I mean, I know people in Gainesville down there know it, but uh, they were in on the Tulane quarterback, Michael Pratt, I believe is his name. Tulane, of course, beat Southern Cal in, I think it was the Cotton Bowl. Great game there, but that's the guy they thought they were getting. So, you know, Graham Mertz, again, is he's far down the list of, of who Florida wanted, and I don't think anybody in the SEC, aside from Florida, was really in on Graham Mertz. So, And like you said, I'm not the biggest fan of Anthony Richardson. I was hyping him up this time last year, certainly, and I I looked like a genius when they played uh, in the opener against Utah. I looked like an idiot about the rest of the half the season because he was just so inconsistent, and that is on Billy Napier. And the offense went essentially as far as Anthony Richardson could take him. And, I mean, that Oregon State loss, I mean, it was pitiful. They had to kick a field goal essentially as time expires just to keep their – down there in, in Florida, they love this streak. They've not been shut out in 30-some-odd years, I, b- I believe it is. But uh, what's the what's the point if you're kicking meaningless field goals late in the games to conserve that? That streak is coming to an end this season under Billy Napier, I really do think. Is K.J. Jefferson the best returning quarterback in the SEC West going into this season? Yeah, I mean, I've been high on K.J. for years. The only one that I would possibly consider – may have a better season is, and this is someone that we've all underrated, Will Rogers at Mississippi State, now in a new offensive scheme following the, obviously the tragic passing of Mike Leach, but they bring in uh, Kevin Barbet from Appalachian State who engineered an upset win over Texas A&M last year. He brings in an explosive passing attack. They love to push the ball down the field. I don't think they did that enough under Mike Leach and Will Rogers uh, I believe he was he had the best percentage throwing the ball down the field of any SEC quarterback. So naturally, they're going to do that more often. You would think it, the numbers would even improve what he already did, which is crazy to think about. But yeah, because college, I mean, I would always lean towards a, a more mobile quarterback, and certainly KJ Jefferson's got that advantage on Will Rogers. So yeah, I'm I'm sticking with KJ for now. I th- I think 
you know, he's been a top three quarterback in the SEC for two seasons now. So it's an easy decision for me. I think he's the best quarterback in the SEC. He may be the best quarterback in the country. Michael Bratton with us, SEC Mike, on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow on the Outkick Network. Mike, so LSU, the defending SEC West champs, their roster's, for the most part, intact. They had a great transfer portal class yet again, and this was the offseason where we thought they would really start to ramp up, and in fact, we saw it last year. So what do you make of everything going on in year two of the regime and what's happening in Baton Rouge? They're one of the two teams who we haven't seen on the field this spring for their spring game that's coming up this Saturday. Yeah, and the challenge for them is they're not going to be the underdog anymore. The expectations, I, I still think Alabama will be the pick in the West uh, when it comes to SEC media days, but that won't be my pick. It'll be LSU because uh, just what Brian Kelly was able to do, taking that team in the opener against Florida State, I mean, it, it was about three and a half quarters of, of just a train wreck, yet they nearly won that football game, got blown out by Tennessee at home a month later. I was thinking maybe the SEC's too much for Brian Kelly, but of course, you know, he rallied the troops. I think that was that's probably going to be the the least talented roster he ever had to work with, and he won the SEC West. Now, it's going to be tougher having to go to Tuscaloosa. That is not an easy task, but one that LSU has uh, you know, they have beaten Alabama in Bryant-Denny a couple times, so I have no doubt that they can do it. I still think LSU is the team to beat, but what's so interesting about them is, and I got a ton of respect for Jaden Daniels after mm-hmm. him coming into the SEC. He, he was a good quarterback last year, but I think this, the offense may have a higher ceiling with Garrett Nussmeyer, and we saw that late in the SEC championship game, put up a ton of yards on Georgia's defense came into the bowl game and, and lit Purdue on fire. So it's interesting. It, it's not often we have a, a perceived SEC college football playoff contender with a quarterback competition, but uh, th- that could define how far LSU goes this season. There's some really good QB competitions across the league, Mike, as you know, but the one I'm most interested in is what Lane Kiffin has amassed at Ole Miss in terms of quarterback talent. Spencer Sanders coming over from Oklahoma State. You've got Walker Howard transferring in from LSU, and now I'm just getting to the incumbent starter in Jackson Dart, who is coming back. When all's said and done, when the dust settles, who do you think wins that job and is starting in the in the Rebels' first game, or are we going to see some sort of quarterback by committee at least to start the season? No, this is Jackson Dart's team, and a credit to him because a lot of quarterbacks particularly in this day and age I realized you know he had already transferred in so he he had already used up his transfer but a lot of quarterbacks would have essentially taken their ball and gone home when you bring in two guys that could start over you I mean that's unheard of uh, in modern college football yet instead of pouting instead of getting down on himself he dedicated himself to improving and uh, the way I'm told Chad I mean he only threw one interception all of spring camp he's won the locker room he did not play well the final month of the season, and, and I think that's why they brought in those two quarterbacks. But he has responded to the challenge. I would be stunned at this point in time if it's not Jackson Dart. And I realize saying that Spencer Sanders was limited in spring. We saw him on Saturday. He looked good. And Walker Howard, he's got the best arm of any of the quarterbacks. So I'm not 
sitting here completely ruling him out, but I think he's just more the quarterback of the future because he's he's barely been down there. So give me Jackson Dart. I, I would like I said, I'd be stunned if it wasn't Jackson Dart and into the season. I think he'll be the quarterback the entire year for uh, Lane Kiffin. Mike, what's the Wagman mean for A and M this year as opposed to last year? If we expect the offense to be up virtually the same, minus who's actually calling plays. Well, we were all ready to hype him up down there. I mean, that's all I'm hearing down in College Station. Connor Wagman, Connor Wagman, Connor Wagman. And then come Saturday, and maybe it was just one practice, but I thought Max Johnson looked like the better quarterback. So um, I'm not sure that is exactly what they had scripted down there in College Station. I think they may have a legitimate quarterback competition, despite the fact that Connor Wegman did come in, look like the better player uh, between all three of the quarterbacks yeah. they played in College Station last year. he And he finished strong, big upset over LSU. I'm sure he probably will be the guy, but again, this is just drama in College Station. It's so wild. And you just know at some point Bobby Petrino and uh, Jimbo Fisher, they're probably going to get in a fist fight, whether it be <laughs> on the sidelines or in a post-game press conference. I mean, it's coming. And uh, I just can't wait to, to see how that comes down. And, and now that there's somewhat of a quarterback competition, that's just going to add a little fuel to that fire. So, Will Levis out, Liam Cohen in at Kentucky. Is this a better offense this year with that trade-off when you look at what's going to happen with Kentucky? Two upgrades. How can it not be? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, bringing in Devin Leary uh, yep. from NC State. Uh, he was banged up last year, but he was incredible as a junior. So, I do think uh, this could be a real upgrade, although I have heard that uh, Liam Cohen a little bit, and this surprised me, Chad. He he's relayed that uh, you know he's a little down on on the players he's inherited compared to the last time he was there. So that that kind of caught me off guard. But I think that says they still got a ways to go on the offensive line because their receivers are very good. They added the running back from Vanderbilt, Ray Davis, who uh, I, I realize most people don't respect Vanderbilt, but he was you know, one of the top two or three players on that team last year and helped them beat Florida, helped them beat Kentucky. So now they've added him. So I I think everywhere is secure aside from offensive line and tight end. That's probably where Liam Cohen is uh, maybe a little disappointed. So we'll have to see what Kentucky adds via the transfer portal window here, the second window we're in. Uh, again, look for it to be offensive line and tight end. But I think Kentucky, they're in a great spot really uh, criminally underrated defense. And it seems like when we hype up Kentucky, they fall flat. When we discount them, they have great years. So I, I think this is a big bounce back year for Mark Stoops and company. So Mike, whenever uh, Shane Beamer a year and a half ago, riding momentum into that offseason, he capitalized certainly. And I now I'm intrigued to see how he capitalizes off the momentum that he and the Gamecocks had when they finished the season with Tennessee and Clemson. Have you seen, have you heard enough out of Columbia to make you think, you know what, they are doing this the right way. They can build off of what they did to finish the year a year ago. Yeah, I certainly think they're trending in the right direction. I mean, recruiting's going so well. They have arguably the best special teams in the SEC, which, you know, people may mock that, but when you're South Carolina, when you're building that thing up, I mean, that's that's the difference between winning some of these games and losing them. So they're on the right path. But my concern with South Carolina is the inconsistencies of Spencer Rather. Now, maybe that was uh, the previous offensive coordinator that we ran out of town 
everyone's fired up about uh, now Loggins, except, you know, Tennessee Titan fans, I, I would assume, are not too, <laughs> you know, they're happy he's down there at uh, South Carolina. But I'm a little concerned due to the schedule, and I don't know that South Carolina currently is up to par because they're looking to take that next step in the SEC. And I don't think on the line of scrimmage either side that they have the players they need to take that next step. They got the quarterback. They have maybe the best receiver in Juice Wells in the SEC. So they've got the they've got pieces, but I don't know if they have the right pieces to to make that jump. And I, I think we might be closer to a, a seven and five, eight and four type team for South Carolina, which they shouldn't discount that. But I, I don't think I think that would be somewhat of a disappointment to to some of these fans. Eli Drinkwitz is a, a tough one to figure out at Missouri. I feel like every time I get really down on him, Missouri rises up and does something a little bit unexpected, and then you can see why, okay, this is why people are on board with what he's doing in Columbia, Missouri. He gets his quarterback back this year in Brady Cook. Do you see improvement with this Missouri team in 2023? Yeah, Chad, I really do. Uh, Missouri returns more production than anybody in the SEC in, uh, over te- except for Texas A&M, excuse me, Texas A&M is number one, Missouri is number two. So you're bringing back a ton of guys and nobody on the defensive side brings back more experience than Missouri. So Missouri, their defense, you got to remember the first year they played Josh Heupel. I mean, it was, they could have scored 80 points that game. I mean, it was ridiculous. They, they just had a garbage defense last year. They make the change. They got the defense figured out. Now they've got to get the offense figured out. And that's supposed to be what Drink is known for. He's not nailed the quarterback situation right yet. Uh, and this is, we're going into year four. So, I mean, this is his final opportunity, I really do think. You mentioned Brady Cook. He has flashed at times, but at times, uh, I mean, he has not looked up to par. But then we come to find out he was injured all last season. They added Jake Garcia, the Miami transfer. He was a four-star recruit. They still have a redshirt freshman that everybody's high on, Sam Horn, that actually picked Missouri over Tennessee and Josh Heupel. So they should have at least one capable quarterback among those three, I have to think. And if they nail the quarterback, I think Missouri is a team that uh, is going to surprise a lot of people in the SEC this fall. SEC Mike with us. What's the ceiling for Joe Milton in Tennessee this upcoming year? Yeah, I mean, that's the million-dollar question, isn't it? But, uh, I mean, I have got all the confidence in the world in Josh Heupel, but I do not have a ton of confidence in Joe Milton. I'll just be honest with you. Now, I was very uh, surprised at how well he played against Clemson. I mean, if he plays as well as that, they're going to be the biggest threat to Georgia, possibly in the entire SEC. I mean, I think they have that ceiling because I think the defense, this is going to be the best, most talented, deepest defense that Josh Heupel has had on Rocky Top. We all know that, uh, you know, given his track record with quarterbacks and offenses, I mean, I I don't have a major concern. Offensive line is probably my biggest concern, but they have insane weapons at receiver and running back. Tight end will potentially be another question mark, but I just, I have to see it with Joe Milton. I mean, he's been hyped up more than just about any quarterback that uh, has done next to nothing that I can ever recall in college football. He looks the part. He can throw it 80 yards. That That's great. But if you cannot hit the accurate 10 to 15-yard passes in the middle of the field, it's that's not worth anything. So has he learned touch? Can he take a little off that cannon that he's got? If he can, Tennessee is going to be right, right there again. I think they'll win 10 or 11 games if Joe Milton 
if they can maximize his talents. And Chad, you, uh, Mike mentioned the depth on defense, and I mean that's what they're trying to build to. But they've also got to get speed in the secondary. You know, they've been they've had players that could rotate in, but not necessarily the speed to keep up with for four quarters. What we're seeing at the top echelon of the SEC East and West. Yeah, and they should be better there. And I was looking through some stats, Mike, and I was a little bit surprised to see the worst two secondaries in America last year. Dead last was Arkansas in the nation. Second to last was Vanderbilt nationally in terms of pass defense a year ago. We've talked a little bit about Arkansas. Uh, Vanderbilt beat Florida and beat Kentucky a year ago. That seems like a pretty successful season, right, for, for Clark Lee. Are they going to be able to build upon that this year, Mike, and improve defensively? Because we know that's, that's Clark Lee's specialty as the head coach. Yeah, absolutely. And, and honestly, the, the defense has been a train wreck. Uh, so, I mean, there's nowhere to really go but up. But, uh, you know, something that he has talked about this spring is you know, he, he joked he's growing out his hair because he's finally got some uh, experience and some seniority. He's not just playing freshmen and sophomores there at Vanderbilt. So, yeah, I mean, if you look at the schedule, I mean, the first four games are all winnable. Heck, even the first five uh, are potentially winnable when you're talking about throwing Missouri in there, even though I just hyped them up. Vanderbilt probably should have beat Missouri last year as well. So yeah. I certainly think they're trending in the right direction. And I think A.J. Swan is a quarterback that uh, not that many people know who he is. But uh, he came out here. His first start was against Northern Illinois. But the next was Alabama undefeated, Georgia undefeated, Ole Miss undefeated. I mean, they, they threw this kid to the wolves here. And I think he had like a 10 to 2 touchdown to interception ratio. He was solid till he got banged up and Mike Wright came in and, and engineered some wins there. So I think the future is very bright. And, and what's wild, Chad, I mean, I think Vanderbilt's got more skill talent than, say, Auburn, which is <laughs> there's probably a good reason why Brian Harson's is not down there at Auburn anymore. SEC Mike, you can check him out on that SEC podcast. Always great to have you on, man, with the perspective across the conference. And, I mean, the fur, we, we mentioned the 75,000 for Ohio State, and the crowds are attending the SEC as well. Can't wait for college football season. Yeah, no doubt. Saturday felt like a, a small taste of what we'll get this yeah. fall. So I was in heaven. We'll get to talk about Hugh Freeze and Auburn next time. That was a nice tease, Mike, to close it out. We'll get to the <laughs> Auburn Tigers and their quarterback situation next time you hop on with us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks. Got it. There's uh, SEC Mike. And again, check him out at uh, Michael W. Bratton on social. Chad, interesting uh, comment there about the talent level for Auburn and what they're inheriting. We can dive into that uh, throughout the show as well. But that's... Well, and the, the, the idea of the kiss of the offensive god that can come in and immediately make a quarterback that was bad look good. And that's what Auburn is banking on with Robbie Ashford or TJ Finley because those guys were not very good under Brian Harson, well, Average at best. But can, can Hugh Freeze tweak some things, bring in his offense, and make them look good? A very good NFL player – his team could be moving on from him by the time the draft rolls around. We'll tell you about the Vikings and their star running back next on Hot Mike. Chad, Tim Brando will join us in about 30 minutes. Timmy Hot B. Mike. Rolls on across the Outkick Network. Do you think he'd 
hate it or love it if I call them Timmy B. We try to get that going. I think they, I, I think they'll love it. The old pop star Timmy T back in the day with one more try. Very underrated song. What he did be Timmy uh, B? Yeah, I think he'll like that. Probably not. I'm guessing no, but I may do it anyways I'll just to it. see. We'll ask him. This is hot, Mike. After all, we we heat it up. That's right. We call people by nicknames they don't want to be called. Uh, things are heating up for the Vikings and Dalvin Cook, their star running back. He's 28 years old. I, I mentioned that first because that plays a factor in all of this. The age of the running back. Right now, he is going to be the fourth highest paid running back in the NFL for this upcoming season, but he has around a $14 million cap hit. His salary is a little over $10 million, 10.4. That is only behind Derrick Henry, Nick Chubb, and then Christian McCaffrey for the value of the contract in cash this year, base salary. Right behind him, Josh Jacobs, Tony Pollard, and Saquon Barkley who's playing on the tag. Well, he's 28, cap number's huge, and the reason why it's even bigger for Minnesota is right now they have the least amount of cap space to work with in the NFL. And based on head coach and philosophy, you can tell they've gone from the run-first offense to more of a pass-first offense with Justin Jefferson and consider that they have Alex Madison who they signed to a contract as the backup, who is still going to be paid as a top 20 running back in 2023 and has been serviceable when Cook has been out. Uh, I would say even more so now, given the fact that, again, they're going more with O'Connell's style of pass first, Cousins to Jefferson, and then you disperse the running back. Um, so while the number in salary is not that big, it's massive to Minnesota. And then you have the general manager saying that they're the team is trying to be solutions-oriented. And if you're looking to make some space, that's where they're going to turn. You can get a lot cheaper at the position, maybe not as much production as an individual as what we've seen from Dalvin Cook. But by a tandem, you can certainly make the case you can find it given what we saw from the offense a year ago. And they paid him $3 million based on one date he hit being on the roster. Yeah, the roster Recently, bonus. Recently, the roster bonus. I'm a little surprised that they didn't already cut ties because this feels to me when they signed Alexander Madison, Mattison mm -hmm. to, I think, a $7 million a year Roughly. deal, that's just telling me that they're going to cut ties with Dalvin Cook to save money. So I'm kind of surprised he's still around. I'm sure they're trying to find a trade partner, I'm guessing. But if that doesn't emerge, then he's just going to get cut. That would be my guess. But you have to be able to find a team. It's very tough to trade them right now, them being, I mean, any of these top guys. Um, because you have to find a trade partner that's willing to find value in that player that they can't find in the draft. Right. Right? And so B. John Robinson, for instance. He's the only running back that's going to attend the first round, which is taking place in Kansas City the entire draft. But the, the first round attendees that believe they're a first round pick, Bijan Robinson's the one. Uh, the Vikings can certainly be in play for him, and you get him considerably less than what you would get from Cook's contract, and Cook hasn't agreed to take the pay cut. So, but, but even if you find the team that's willing to find the value, they also don't have to they, – they can't have a solution on their roster. And the top teams that would be in, in line for, a, for a, a guy like Dalvin Cook at the age versus where you can get in the draft, Tennessee, Cleveland, um, Las Vegas with what we've seen with, with Jacobs. Maybe we get there with Cincinnati, but Cincinnati can also find running back in the draft. It just 
someone like Dalvin Cook, in, in terms of asset allocation in the league right now, seems to me that it would make the most sense to join a team midseason that feels like they're a Dalvin Cook away from competing for a Super Bowl. That's the best option, is you get traded to a team that says, we can really upgrade with this guy, and this could be the missing link for a Super Bowl. It's tough to make an off-season off trade because yeah. I'm a firm believer you can find a lot of that third round and beyond in the NFL draft if you need it. And you're paying a lot less. And it's not just about what you're paying. It's mostly about what you're allocating with the salary cap yeah. for that player. And how you're built. Yeah, like if, if you're going through quarterback and wide receiver, you're not paying the $10 million plus on what we're seeing unless you're, it's a one-and-done, fully guaranteed franchise tag. But when this guy's right, he is a difference maker, and there's not many at running back in the league. Yeah, He's one of four or five guys that's a true difference maker. And he's just on a team now that wasn't built through the same direction that he was on the team with, what, three years ago. Yeah. Different mindset, maybe same player. But again, aging. Not aging, Jalen Hurts, who got paid today. Details next. 